Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This episode is brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel. If you're not wearing it, I don't want to hang out with you. It basically comes down to that. All right. It's not that drastic, but at this point, I've got Homefield Apparel and it's about two thirds of my closet, partially because, you know, there are people. They've been with us now for a couple of years. But the other reason is because I'm a sports fanatic and I'm assuming that you are if you're listening to this podcast. So uh, get yourself some Homefield Apparel. Go to homefieldapparel.com and you can get 20% off your first purchase with MNB when you go to checkout at homefieldapparel.com. All right, on to the show. All right, welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, a podcast that is not dissimilar from a teenage pregnancy and that it happened by accident and you're still dealing with the ramifications several years later. I am Jared Stormer of maizeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of maizeandbrew.com. Andy, you well-groomed and emotionally intelligent Neanderthal. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, sir. It's been a good week. You know, we're settling into NFL draft time of the year. We're getting some transfer news. Michigan sports never sleeps. And as the Big Ten championships continue to mount, it's a good time to be a fan. Always a good time to be a fan. And speaking of drafts, we uh, have some early results from last week's spring draft. You're running away with it. Uh, just looked at this right before we went on to record. My pride is wounded. It certainly uh, certainly took a hit with you being at 75% to my 25%. I don't know what happened, guys. I don't, I don't know what happened out there. I'm, I'm going to have to disagree with all of you. Uh, time will vindicate me. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I'd like to thank the voting public. Uh, this one really means a lot to me. I always say uh, my next championship, my favorite one is the next one. So uh, looking forward to next year's. I don't like to dwell you know, too much in the past. <laughs> wow. You're so sweet, so humble. I, I, don't know how, I don't know how there's room for you on the, uh, on the podcast with that ego. All right. Well, yeah, well done. Well done. Um, but I, I still maintain that I, I really like my team. We went back uh, after last week's and we were looking at some of the ones from way back when. And uh, let's just say that there's some some definite misses on there. There's some obvious hits, but some definite misses. So this exercise is uh, it's one that you won't know the true answers to until later. Yeah, it's always fun to look back at the end of the season or like we did last week, look back into the past several years and see how they've aged and like try to keep them in context of that specific year as well. And man, we went through one and I guess I must have been asleep and or drunk or just, you know, too much cough syrup that evening. 
And uh, yeah, you had like 18 of 22 starters that year. And I had people like on the offensive line I'd never even heard of. So yeah, rough start for your boy here, but we've managed to, you know, at least come back to competency the last few. Yeah, that was a long time ago. I don't even remember which president was in office when we did that first one. So a lot has changed since then, but that was fun last week. Uh, this week, there's uh, actually still quite a bit of news, like you alluded to. This will be coming out on Thursday. The draft begins Thursday, so no draft coverage for us this week. We will be back next week to break all that down, talk about where all the Michigan guys end up. Um, one little note on that is that uh, the Vegas odds shifted this morning, and now it is looking like Aiden Hutchinson might be available at number two. Trayvon Walker from Georgia, now the betting favorite to go number one. Um, what what do you think that would mean if Aiden Hutchinson stays in Detroit? Being this guy that already means so much to the area. Now, obviously, there are a lot of Michigan State fans. There are also Lions fans. But like, could this be like one of the more impactful and meaningful pairings of like a prospect in a city that we've had in a while? So the thing is with Trayvon Walker really skyrocketing and ascending post the actual football season is because of his upside. He has this high, very, very high ceiling, but also has a very low floor, not a very good developed pass rusher, an outstanding athlete, not great in run support. So it's a big swing by the Jaguars. And what this means for the Detroit Lions is this is a player that's not going to suck in Aiden Hutchinson. He's going to be good and competent and a cornerstone locker room piece, just an extension of Dan Campbell on the field. So I think this is an, an absolute home run for Detroit if Jacksonville passes up Hutch and goes after Walker instead. I couldn't be more thrilled about this. <clears throat> Man, it would be, and you hit all of the key talking points there, just like a cultural fit, like a guy that can come in and immediately re-energize a fan base that, quite frankly, hasn't had much in a while. You know, we had Matt Stafford, but there just wasn't really much around him, um, you know, outside of that one. I, I'm i going to get it wrong. I think it was like the 08 playoff team when we still had Calvin Johnson and Indomitian and Sue. It's been a while, so, I mean, it, it's been, a, or excuse me, that would have been, it would have been after 08. It's been a while, though. Um, so, yeah, Hutchinson comes in. And like you said, this is a guy that has an extremely high floor. Um, so sometimes you want to draft for for the highest ceiling. But also, I really think Hutchinson has a higher ceiling than people are giving him credit for. His three cone <laughs> drills, his 40 time, they speak to that. Like, he's he's a better athlete than people give him credit for. But uh, basically, we know Hutchinson's not getting out of the top two picks. We can pretty much guarantee that. Uh, like we said, by the time this comes out, it'll already be Thursday and we'll know. But uh, I would say I would bet a lot of money that Hutchinson doesn't fall past pick two. This is the classic time of the year where it's just paralysis by analysis. We know which guys are really good at football already. And I mean, testing and combine does matter because you can try to project or like answer maybe some like analysis you have and like correct or overcorrect one way or the other. And the big thing with Hutchinson was, oh, he has short arms. I never once thought last season, damn, this kid's got short arms. Man, really lowers the ceiling on him. You know, no. He's productive. He has a motor, and I still think he's ascending. I think last year was just a step to really propel him to this next leap at the NFL level. You hit everything with the culture fit. Like it, I could not be happier to pair Dan Campbell up with Aiden Hutchinson. There's not a better player and coach pairing in the NFL if they take Hutchinson too. Oof, I'm with you, man. I'm really fingers crossed for the rest of the week that there's a way for this to happen. If not, at least go get Dax Hill. You know, with pick number 32 or 34 there, that would at least help to sit, take some of the sting off there. Um, yeah, and I, I don't remember watching Aiden Hutchinson after he like completely mauled Nic Nicholas Petit Frere as though, you know, Hutchinson were a bear and he were like a, a sack of honey and being like, yeah, but those arms, they're not they're not quite long <laughs> enough. Like, no, it's 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 ridiculous. Like the dude is a, he's a mauler. He's a beast. He's going to be a good uh, NFL player, too. So don't overthink it. Um, but I don't think that they're going to. He's going to be a high pick there. And it'll be fun. I, I, I'm looking forward to next week's episode, figure out where some of these guys go. Uh, speaking of Michigan defensive linemen, one that is outgoing, there is one that is incoming, and that is UCF defensive tackle transfer Cam Good, six foot two, 315 pounder coming in to play for Michigan, announced this week. Uh, played 13 games last season uh, for the Knights. 
24 tackles, four tackles for loss, four forced fumbles, three sacks, three pass breakups. He's big. Uh, just watched some some tape right before we got on. Looks to be pretty quick. What do you like about this guy? What does this mean for the team? How does he slot in next to Mozzie Smith, or is this just a rotational guy? What are your thoughts on this one? I love him entering the three players up there, really the three D tackles with uh, Chris Jenkins, Mozzie Smith, and now Cam Good. Cam Good's a disruptor. Like, Mozzie Smith is really good at like clogging up gaps there, but like we didn't have a lot of pressure from the interior last year, and granted, we didn't need it because that wasn't the assignment of the 3-4, but just to have that versatility up there along the line, he can plug in there at 6-2, 3-15, immediately fill some gaps, but then be the disruptive force from the inside because – Granted, Mike Morris and players on the outside are going to be good this season, but they're not Hutch and Ojabo. That's a generational pairing. So having some pressure or having the option of like generating pressure from the interior with a player like Cam Good only means good things for a defense that will be searching for its identity early in the season. Uh, well spoken. That was uh, that was a sermon right there. I loved it. Um, here's a quick question for you. More impactful group now. Is it the defensive tackles or is it the defensive ends? Because I think there's now an argument to be made. Granted, we haven't seen Cam Good in a Michigan uniform, but this is a good player. UCF is no slouch school. And this dude, um, you know, he played legitimate competition. I think this dude is an absolute stud. Um, and now there's a question because you and I are pretty high on Mozzie Smith. So is it uh, is it the interior or is it the edges, you think, where the strength of this defense lies? I would need to see Cam Good play before I could really go there because, like, the edges just still have like depth and experience with Morris, Harrell, uh, Taylor Upshaw. You have players like Derek Moore coming in, Braden McGregor, who's been in the system, so they know. So I, I, I need to hold out a reservation on that. It's kind of you know chicken way out of this answer, but I'm not ready to go defensive tackles. But I can tell you right now, based off what we saw from Mason Graham in the spring game, as well as Chris Jenkins, we know what Mozzie Smith is. I want to make that step. It's been a while since defensive tackle has been like the strongest position group. I mean, I think you got to go pretty far back. Um, and, you know, some of that is because we generally have better linebackers than we do right now. But it's a good problem to have at defensive tackle. And, you know, that's the point of attack. So great place to build. Super excited that the transfer portal is starting to be utilized more and more by this coaching staff. Great pickup. Strong name, too. Cam Good, two syllables. Last name of Good. Can't go wrong. In fact, I call him CG315. We're already workshopping a lot of nicknames here at Out of Blue, so we're going to run through a couple. But yeah, Cam Good, strong name. Strong name. Speaking of strong names, we're going to change sports real quick here. This one was just announced. I won't quite say he's your boy. You had some other boys on the Michigan hockey team. But ah boy, <laughs> ah dude, uh, and a guy that uh, did show some serious flashes, Eric Pertillo coming back. He will be the uh, one of the the lone returning big names that you'll see coming back next year. But I defer to you for all things hockey, sir. What does this mean for the hockey program next year? Yeah, so obviously Michigan is losing a lot of players, rightfully to the NHL. Matty Beneers is on a five-game point streak to begin his career at the next level. Uh, Bordy had a game winner last night in a shootout for the Sharks over the Knights. So it's just been, uh, amongst others, it's been really great to see those guys thrive. But for next year's team, we have a stud recruiting class coming in. I'm going to have some words on maizeandbrew.com in the coming weeks about them. But uh, Portillo coming back in the net just gives you a solidifying force. He was top five, I believe, in – I know he's top five in wins. He's right up there in save percentage, a 6'6 dominant force. Not quite ready for that leap. So I think another year will do him well. And you get to pair him up with Luke Hughes again next year. This team is already off to a great start to build to make another quest for the Frozen Four. Couldn't be excited. Couldn't be more excited for it, man. A six-six Swede in the net named Eric Portillo. Sign me up every time. Yeah, if you just told me like that last little bit there, the last part of that sentence, I think that'd be enough to to sell me. Six-six Swede named Portillo. I'm in. And uh, you know he did. He had some great moments in what I was able to see last year. At one point, he was like well above ninety-two percent in his save right there towards the end. I don't know what he ended up finishing with if you count in um, the playoffs and the Big Ten tournament and everything. So I think one more year, I think you're absolutely right, will be great. And where does Portillo rank as far as the sauce, the swag of the pregame outfit uh, amongst all the players? They can be the players that left this year as well. 
don't sleep on the Swede drip. All right, the Swedish drip is real. And uh, one thing he really needs to you know clean up the drip is is does not need to be cleaned up at all. Let's just put that on the table. He is top. He's top four. He's he he may not be. He, he's not number one's obviously Bordy. Like that man is just like a god amongst boys walking around with that closet. Let's just be honest here. But Portillo is definitely up there. And for some things, he really needs to clean up next year. Not the drip. It's just he'll always allow like a soft goal early on, and then he would just become the dominant force that he is. And but he could carry a team, and for a team next year that's going to have some moving pieces and new freshmen coming in, all bite talented. It's going to take some time. So having it's just that that stone force of Swedish drip behind you to like help propel you as you're searching for an identity. Can't ask for much more for this young team next year. Man, not a bad uh, nickname idea there. The Stone Force of Swedish Drip. It's a lot of words, but uh, strong too. Mighty strong. There's definitely a nickname to be had. Um, super excited that he's coming back. We're going to have to put in some nickname work this offseason. I think that we're actually slacking already on our nicknames. I know. it's uh, <laughs> We're not even into May yet. And you and I are like, God, how are we this far behind? Why don't we have a nickname for Iman Dennis yet? But, you know, we will go into our bag this summer, <laughs> search through July, and we'll find some good ones. Dennis the Menace, done. What else you got? <laughs> uh, we'll pull up Derek Moore next. Derek, not Rod Moore. <laughs> <laughs> yep, moving on. I mean, these these nicknames are only going to be good for like you and I. They're not going to really make any sense to anyone else. But I think that uh, nonetheless, it's an exercise we need to complete. I think it is. We owe it to the listeners to do this. So we're, we'll have some good names. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We'll we'll get there. Uh, all right, moving on. Let's switch from hockey over to basketball. Going to be a bit of a basketball-heavy pod as we're kind of waiting on some football news, um, waiting to hear some stuff as well out of the basketball program. What we have heard is all good, though. Sounds like Hunter Dickinson is returning. He announced this on his Instagram, posted it on Twitter. He will be back for his junior season, says he has some unfinished business. Something that we were expecting, something that you and I were kind of um, envisioning happening after we saw him at the spring game and, and just how engaged he was and how much he really seemed to be both literally and figuratively the big man on campus. So uh, getting Dickinson back, absolutely huge. We'll get into that. Um, Diabate declares but maintains eligibility and then the deadline passes and we hear nothing from Houston. So uh, start uh, wherever you want there. What are your thoughts on uh, the eligibility and the declarations of those guys? I like that Hunter Dickinson is setting the tone with his and went first last night. I think it's two things. If I had to like really pinpoint him to improve upon next year, it would be defensive effort and versatility and leadership. It's you're a junior now. It's time to like step up and like be the man out there, like commanding on both ends and leading by example. So I think declaring first and saying, Hey, I'm coming back. I'm not done yet. I want to keep working. I want to, I want to win another Big Ten championship. I want to make another tournament run for a national championship. And I think this is a good sign. It's not everything, but it's a good indicator, I believe. I think so too, man. And coming back another year, like definitely is going to help him out as far as his NBA prospects. You know, we've talked about that ad nauseum in some previous podcasts, wasn't quite ready. And, uh, you know, he just doesn't have the game that translates super well to the NBA. He could get there, especially since he took leaps this year, um, but needed to get a little bit more mature. Um, I mean, we are huge Dickinson. Well, no, I can't even say we're huge Dickinson fans. We are fans of Hunter Dickinson, but the immaturity kind of held us back from getting to that next level of fandom like seems like a great guy but also a guy that probably makes like a lot of dick jokes at parties and it's like all right man we get it hunter like it's been it's been three and a half hours like you got any you got any thoughts on like iran contra or any other like you know modern modern geopolitical thoughts it's like nah just more dick jokes but like he he needs to grow up a little bit and i think that one more year in the program with the NLIL money as well being available to him. So it's not like he's sacrificing this opportunity at more money. I think it's going to do nothing but good things for him. And if he takes another leap like he took from last year to this year, yeah, I, I could see him potentially getting drafted at some point. I think so too. And now he has a chance to develop and continue being the big man on campus. Like that's never a bad thing to be the most, one of the most popular guys on a college campus, especially in Ann Arbor. And as it pertains to Musa Diabate, I believe he's in a similar position that Dickinson was last year, where I want to test the waters. I want to get some feedback. I want to go through some of this, see where I really need to develop and come back and apply. I would 
at this stage, I would be very surprised if he left. I think this is all for him to like pick up some skills, come back to a team that can contend at a high level, see him in some high-pressure situations, take the next step, and then apply what he hears back from NBA scouts to improve upon. 100%. You hit all the key talking points there. I do expect him to be back. I imagine he will get feedback that says, uh, you really need to improve your your offensive handle. You need to improve your playmaking ability, your passing. Um, your interior defense is really strong. And like that is something that forecasts to be NBA level for sure. Um, I believe that he'll be able to switch onto some perimeter guys. Maybe not everybody. Like He's probably not out there covering Donovan Mitchell. But could he go out there and, and maybe do something against, let's say, who's like maybe a less athletic wing out there, like a Jeremy Grant or something like that? I, I think that he could probably go out there and bother some of those wings out there. Um, but he's just got a long way to go on the offensive side of the ball with playmaking, with uh, decision making, things like that. So I imagine that's what he'll hear. But, yeah, this is the right move for him, too. I think that maintaining your eligibility, but no harm in testing the waters. And it's it's a good thing that they allow these kids this opportunity to to look in and test the waters like that. I would love to see him come back and like really develop like guarding on the perimeter as well. And I think he could become with his talent and effort that like a Michigan's version of a Sohan last year on Baylor be that type of wrecking ball and just menace on the defensive end where it's like, okay, this guy could be a high pick, potentially a lottery pick next year because of what he brings to the table. Just an, a do-it-all X-factor type of defender with high energy. I mean, those are very coveted, especially at 6'10". Ooh, man, you know you're speaking my language with the Sohan stuff there. That's uh, that's a guy we're both very high on and and we covet. All right, so I, I, a quick question here. So you went with uh, like increasing the perimeter defense. That would be awesome. And then he's basically a defensive specialist. Um, but if you could pick like one skill that he could master in the offseason, is that what you're going with? Are you sticking with perimeter defense? Or would you maybe want him to to have like the ball handling skills or something else that he improved? He, ball handling is number one. Like he has to get just a competent like that where it's respectable because it's very loose, kind of sloppy. But I think he can come along with that. I think the defensive effort for him really will not take that much for him to become elite at that. Just having a year at the college level. The ball handling, though, I'm with you, has to be number one because there were so many times when he just really struggled to take people off the dribble or when he, anytime he set up with the ball, we're like, Oh, Jesus, please, God, help us all. So we need to avoid that, get rid of the Jesuses, and hopefully, you know, he can have the ball handling next year and the defensive versatility and intensity. Luckily, we, uh, we're not popular enough to get aggregated because get rid of the Jesus would, would not really go over well on a lot of our more conservative sites. But uh, no, I'm, I'm with you, man, that uh, I, I think that you hit the nail on the head there. Like the uh, the progression on defense is just going to happen on its own. You see all the tools there. Um, decision making, I think, is something that once again, just more experience, you'll get there. But the ball handling is something that he's got to put the work on. And that's got to happen this offseason. And if he does, then I think you'll see a lot of other like of his stats improve. And that's a guy that absolutely has a place in the NBA. Uh, Caleb Houston, the last guy in that equation, we haven't heard anything from him yet. I imagine he would do the same thing, but the deadline to declare has come and gone. I don't really know how that works. Um, like I, I assume that there's still a way for him to to get there, or maybe he declared and we didn't hear anything about it. But uh, I guess I'm taking that as to mean it, it, Caleb Houston is coming back. But it's just kind of weird how the deadline works because it doesn't seem to be like like very final here. It's very strange. Yeah, I'm not too sure about all the intricacies and how it's involved. I assume he's coming back. Like Maybe we'll hear here in like a few hours. I have to come back and re-record, but I assume he's coming back. You and I saw a player that needs development at this level. Like he's just like the tournament really exposed him. Like there were just a lot of gaps. Like he has the the fluent shot, but if he could come back next year, like how Shonday Brown could have benefited from one more year of just like being the guy. Like if Caleb Houston can take that step with the way his stroke is mechanically, like from beyond the arc, like he can get there. There's just little incremental things, intensity, effort, just got to get that dog in him. You know, if we could just have a little bit more of that dog in there too, Caleb Houston could really help his stock the next year. So is that what you're going with for number one thing he needs to work on this coming season is uh, effort intensity? 
kind of kind of deal or is there like a uh, like an actual basketball skill that you think he needs to improve because I'm with you on the mechanics we've been very vocal on that I think he has some of the best shot mechanics I've ever seen come through Michigan it's effort and intensity it's like I hate to be the guy to sum it up with he's got to have that dog but he just has to have more fight and like take things a little bit more personally because at times for him like he just looked he looked very young out there he looked like a freshman like he didn't look like he looked intimidated at times and he has to get rid of that because especially at the next level when you walk in there and you have to guard Jason Tatum it's like he's not looking to help you out he's looking to like, annihilate you take you like so he has to take that next step with intensity and effort I think he can but someone's got to be there to mentor him and push him along and I think Jawan is the right guy and if Michigan can add somebody like Terrence Shannon it's really going to help elevate his game 100% with you that is the transition I was looking forward to because Terrence Shannon it sounded like had all but committed to Michigan he posted a picture of him in the jersey you know saying like Ann Arbor or something like that I retweeted a lot of people did assuming this was a commitment it was not necessarily a commitment they are still at this point working through what the uh, credit transfer process is going to look like. That's my understanding. Um, but we don't know exactly if or when or or how this is going to happen. But we do know that we're the favorite to land Terrence Shannon, the 6'6 transfer out of Texas Tech, who would be, I mean, basically just souped up Sean Day Brown or maybe souped up Charles Matthews, like exactly what this team needs. So certainly worth watching. Um, I, I hope we get information or something soon on that because, I mean, that is a game changer if we land Terrence Shannon. A souped up Sean Day Matthews? You had me at souped up. Let's go. <laughs> Yeah, I'm with you. Like he, this dude is exactly what the doctor ordered. And even without him, with all three of those guys potentially returning, probably Big Ten favorites next year with Terrence Shannon. I mean, you're talking about among the top national favorites. So this is going to be a really good team. Hunter Dickinson coming back guarantees that the likelihood of Diabate and Houston coming back really further reassures that Terrence Shannon in the wind. It's like, oh, man. Like it's got me itching and scratching already thinking about basketball next season. It could be an all timer if, if things really, really fall into place here. And not to mention the arrival of the freshman class, especially uh, Jet Howard, who's been tearing up some spring tournaments <clears throat> on the circuit out there. So, I mean, yeah, a lot of potential and some some size and length we've been looking for. It's going to be an interesting team once all this gets finalized and shaken out. But there's enough names in the wind, enough smoke to believe that there's going to be fire somewhere. And if we retain all of these and add some key pieces, it's going to be a very, very scary team. Uh, speaking of fire, I'm going to ask you to give me some fire here. I didn't prep you for this. Which team's more likely to win a Big Ten championship with their next year's iteration, football or basketball? Football. I say that so fast just because I like the offensive line. The team's coming off just like such a dominant season with a good culture. And the basketball team is very up and down during the year. So I need to see the way they blend together and handle some different things. And there's too many pieces right now that aren't nailed down yet. So still football. What about you? I agree with you, but this is going to seemingly make no sense. Most likely to win a Big Ten championship, it's football. Most likely to win a national championship, it's basketball. Because of what you said, like this team probably could take some time. I could totally see that, especially if Terrence Shannon's working in, you're working in the new guys. Um, Frankie Collins has taken over the point and learning the ropes. I could see us maybe having a slow start, uh, maybe winning the tournament, but not winning the Big Ten championship outright or something like that. But it's going to be a dangerous team uh, once they get to the NCAA tournament, whereas uh, Michigan football, I mean, I, I just like us straight up in our schedule. I like the way that the schedule lines up and we are both really high on the offense. So, yeah, I, if that makes any sense, like, does is that a cop out answer? <clears throat> No, it's not. It does make sense and is apt, man, because the Michigan football team, again, will have the hurdle of Ohio State late in the year and where like one loss can derail it. Obviously, Michigan State still hanging there, haven't beat them in a few years. Um, yeah, no, it, it makes complete sense. The uh, margin for error is a lot smaller on the football side, so that's why it makes sense, you know, saying, hey, they could win the Big Ten again, but maybe struggle taking the next step against an Alabama that's bringing back Bryce Young 
and I can't think of that stud linebacker and Will Anderson as compared to the basketball team who could come along in a single elimination tournament in a few weekends and make a run. Similar like they did this year. I'm like, we didn't think they beat Tennessee. And if Justin Moore had gotten hurt earlier, they'd probably beat Nova, which injuries are a part of it and it's awful. But it's like Michigan basketball is always going to be competitive late in the year. So no, as long as like they're even middling around 500 like this season, they're still dangerous come the second weekend of the tournament. So no, your answer makes complete sense. That was long-winded. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's all right, because I was being nonsensical and long-winded myself. So you came in and you totally gave me validation. That's what good friends do. I appreciate that. But uh, all right, we're going to take a quick break here. Second half of this one, got a kind of interesting exercise. Want to see how this works out. Jordan Poole has gone supernova and is officially an absolute superstar here. And some of the Michigan basketball players in the NBA are starting to look like maybe this is the second coming of uh, the the first great era of Michigan basketball players in the NBA. So we want to talk about that, get into what we mean right after this. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in life, whether they be big, small, or anywhere in between. And when we keep those bottled up, it can start to affect us in a negative way. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist, and if for some reason that therapist isn't working out for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get life's challenges off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Block M to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Block M. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Welcome back to the out of the blue second half of this thing. You mentioned something uh, off air that I had to at least bring up. And you wrote an article that kind of brought this up about potential landing places for Hassan Haskins. But Buffalo as a place for Hassan Haskins, that is now maybe behind Hutchinson to Detroit. My new favorite, like this needs to happen pairing of this draft. Hassan Haskins on a snowy day in Buffalo, like in the AFC Championship, as fans are going through tables. Like, come on, give me a break. They're de- they need depth at that position. He provides a security blanket, someone that's sure-handed with the football, great in pass pro, and is not going to wear down in the depths of winter. This is everything they want. And I I was rooting for Buffalo last year when they played Kansas City, and if Hassan Haskins there, I might as well be a Buffalo fan right behind Detroit. Dude, I'm with you because they need to get a Michigan guy there. I want to pull for this team, and I don't want to pull for New England, but yet New England has a lot of our guys there, and they continue to draft Michigan guys. So it would solve a lot of problems there. I really want to like that team. You're absolutely right with everything you said from a football standpoint. Just like that dude late in the season, I mean, you know that he's indestructible. I mean, they've run tests on him, and scientists don't understand what's happening. So I mean, and that you can back that up. It's 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 absolutely verifiable. So I, I think that he would fit from a football standpoint, just from like a culture standpoint. Yeah, that's my new favorite fit. Great call by you. I would 100 percent buy a son Haskins Buffalo jersey right after buy a Hutch Lions jersey like blues are kind of kind of similar. It's like we'll be just fine. It's like it's all shade of blue here. We're good. AFC, NFC. And, and look, you're just being a good consumer, a good capitalist there. So, yeah, spend your money. I like it. I need all these jerseys. <laughs> all right. Uh, second half <laughs> all right, this, man. What do you got this back half? Back half of this pod, man. Uh, Jordan Poole. The ascension is real. As of right now, this dude looks like one of the best players in the playoffs. He's, you know, the stardom was beginning to happen this season in the playoffs. It's gone to a different level. So in the regular season, um, 
you know, I kind of wanted to talk about Jordan Poole and and how he got to this level and really where he can get. So he's drafted in that ninth, that 2020 year, which was the weird COVID year. Don't want to take too much into that. Uh, he only averaged 8.8 points per game in that year. 21 last year, we saw him getting a little bit better, got up to 12 points per game, was shooting the three point um, three pointer a lot better, got up to 35 percent. But then this year, he's just gone nuclear. He's up to 18 and a half points per game during the regular season. But then he explodes now in the playoffs, averaging 24.3 points per game, looking like an absolute star and. I want to ask you, what is the ceiling for this guy? Because I'm going on Bill Simmons and I'm going on Ryan Russillo and they're legitimately asking, uh, should Steph be coming off the bench for Jordan Poole? Like if they were doing it tongue in cheek, but it's literally a question that's being posed now throughout NBA circles. So what can we expect from Jordan Poole? Jordan Poole has become one of the best two guards in the NBA. Like that's just seems like the trajectory and it feels so weird to say that, but the proof is in the pudding or I should say the proof is in the playoffs because that's how he has been playing. It could lead to the, the breakup of clay and Steph there with clay's contract and how Jordan Poole is positioned financially for their cap space. There's a lot of things they can do. And man, you and I talked about this a lot with Poole. Like he had all the potential. He had the size. He had the shooting acumen. He had the mindset. And we said when he was drafted that if he lands in the right position, like he could late in the first round, early second round, it could be the best for him. And that's exactly what happened. You could not go to a better, more stable organization than the Warriors. Their GM, Bob Myers, they want to be good for a while. They don't want to just have like go all in on one year for a peak. Their strategy is to sustain success year in and year out. And Jordan Poole is a foundational piece of that. He could be the next cornerstone piece as Steph transitioned into a different part of his career in the coming years. So, no, Jordan Poole, it would not surprise me if he's contending for all NBA teams in three years. In the playoffs, we mentioned the 24 points per game. He's also averaging almost six assists, one and a half steals, half a block. And he's shooting his effective field goal percentage is 73%. He's also shooting 52% from three. Now, it's only been four games. This is not sustainable. And it's against a really bad Denver team that's missing a lot of guys. But nonetheless, you're seeing a star is absolutely being born in front of our eyes. And you, you're right about the fact that it's not sustainable. You can't keep all of those guys, especially when you've got three, three of these guys that are all timers now are guards. And, you know, that's that's going to be problematic for him in the future. And he's definitely going to get paid. So I agree with you that the ceiling is now one of the best two guards in the game. And he plays a little bit better defense than, say, like a Donovan Mitchell. So are we talking like a Devin Booker trajectory here for Jordan Poole? Is it somebody different? Is it somebody better than that? Am I too high on him? Does this revert back towards the mean if he goes to a different team? That's a good question. I think it's higher than Donovan Mitchell. I don't know if it's as high as Booker, who's probably going to be first-team All-NBA this season. But this it's very tough because he's, he's solid on both ends of the court. He's a winning player. He's a very cerebral player. And it just seems like there's really no end to his potential. So it's really hard to put a place on him right now. So it's, just, it's a big range. Like, it's a big range somewhere between um, – Mitchell and Booker. I don't think it's quite that high or quite that low, but I'm saying we're saying Donovan Mitchell being too low for Jordan Poole at this point. That's how far he's come the last two seasons. That's insane. And if it seems like hyperbole, just some of these other things that I had written down about things I've heard about Jordan Poole over the last few weeks on podcasts, they've been pushing like the FanDuel stuff on the ringer. And uh, the bet that a lot of them like is Jordan Poole to be the top scorer throughout the entire playoffs. Like, that's ridiculous that this is the level that we're at. So that leads me to where I wanted to go with the second half of this podcast. And, you know, we want to continue this Jordan Poole discussion, but I kind of want to take it into the era of Michigan basketball that we're in right now with this, um, you know, some of the beeline guys and then some of the Howard guys were kind of at a, a weird spot here. But there's a lot of these guys now. You're watching the playoffs and I turn it on and I was like, oh, there's Tim Hardaway. You know, there's there's Jordan Poole absolutely destroying dudes. Uh, there's Duncan Robinson playing for a really good Miami Heat team. Uh, there's Franz Wagner getting rookie of the year votes. So I wanted to compare that to the era of the of the Fab Five when there was like Glenn Rice, Jawan Howard, Chris Weber, and some of these other guys all playing at the same time. So if you're up for it, 
Absolutely. I think this is a great exercise because it really puts things into perspective with how when Michigan basketball was at its highest, they're putting players in the NBA that are you know taking the next step and thriving at that level. And then there was a lull for a few years, like post like the mid to late 90s and early 2000s, where it was really rough, like trying to figure some things out, not as many hits here and there. But the Beeline era really started it of putting guys back in the NBA who are taking that step, like players we'll get to, like Tim Hardaway, who found his niche. And now it's going into the Juwan Howard era, and you're seeing Jordan Poole now and others. So I think it's a good comparison, and it's easy to draw the line straight through from Michigan basketball contending for national championships, good players in the NBA, and same thing now. I'm with you, dude. All right, so we're going to start this off by ranking the current players in the NBA for uh, just overall ceiling and where we think that they're going to end up as far as um, how good of an NBA player they are. All right, so I've got number one, Jordan Poole. Uh, based on everything that I just said, uh, the fact that he's looking like a guy that you on that ridiculous Warriors team you have to put on the floor. Uh, and then I've got Franz Wagner, too. What do you think about that? I think the one, two is perfect. Franz was, I believe, first team all rookie for most people's votes. I don't think the official results are out yet, and he should be. He was outstanding. He has the versatility on both ends of the court, and it's going to be a really malleable piece moving forward for the Orlando Magic and what they're trying to build, at least. Uh, effective field goal percentage over 50%, close to 52%, 15 points a game, um, you know, basically a steal a game, three assists a game, five rebounds, nothing to scoff at, really solid. The next coming of Gordon Hayward, but with a higher ceiling. I've got Franz Wagner at two. I've got Duncan Robinson at three, a guy that took a little bit of a step back this year, down to 11 points per game, um, a little bit down from his apex, which his apex was insane just with the three-point percentage. Uh, Mellowed out a little bit this year, but this is still a career 44% three-point shooter on a really good Miami team. And then I've got uh, uh, Tim Hardaway after that. So Duncan Robinson, Tim Hardaway, Uh, What do you think about that as far as next in the order? That's perfect. And the fact that Duncan Robinson took a step back, but in game one of this very series against the Hawks, he went off for like what 30 points or 27 points and led the team in scoring. So that potential is still there. And I think that's what separates him uh, over Tim Hardaway. Hardaway has gone off in prior years, maybe about four or five years ago. He could do that, not to the efficiency of Duncan Robinson, but uh, Hardaway is still just a very solid role player. And I think he'll continue to be for a few years to come. He's considered to be having a down year. He's still shooting 40% from three. Like this is a dude that can absolutely come in and light it up from the three point range. He's what we thought Nick Stauskas was going to be. So yeah, I've got Duncan Robinson ahead of Tim Hardaway, even though Tim Hardaway has a, a really good career. When you look at it, I mean, it spans now. I mean, geez, what is that? Two, four, six. If it's well over 10 years now, Tim Hardaway basically averaging over 12 points a game every single year. He's had a really good career. Um, Same with the next guy that I've got. I've got Karis LeVert and then Mo Wagner. So Karis LeVert, then there's a bit of a drop off as far as the tier. And Karis LeVert, you know, you and I are both kind of not really in, in the camp as far as a guy that we'd want on our NBA team. You know, we pull for him as a Michigan guy, but just really hasn't been able to stay on the floor. But when he has been on the floor, uh, the dude can score when he is on the on the floor and healthy, but uh, has not been out there for anything resembling an entire season throughout his NBA career. Yeah, he can light it up. Had a very severe issue last season. Glad to see him overcome it. When healthy, like you said, you and I have never been super fans of the way he plays, but he can light it up from night to night and has found a role um, in the NBA to stick. But with the Cavs, like the fit there now is kind of rough. I think he could be moved from there sooner than later. But there's nobody else you can like realistically put over him. Like Mo Wagner you had coming in right behind him. And there is a significant drop there. Like as much as that we love Mo Wagner, like the big brother here is like, this is a safe place for him. So, but the drop between Levert and Mo Wagner is vast. Yeah, and the rest of these guys that are on the list, Trey Burke, Iggy Braz, and Nick Stauskas, all still in the league. Uh, they've also been in the league for a few years, so I don't think there's any like unseen potential yet that uh, they, they've yet to really reach. So I think that that is right for the last few guys there. Uh, of the guys to mention, Mo Wagner is a guy that is steadily improving. So maybe something to watch that he could end up having a little bit longer career than we thought. Trey Burke, uh, 
beloved, absolutely. You know, we all love Trey Burke. I'm not going to say an ill word about him, but uh, his NBA career probably is not going to take some huge leap at this point. Um, Iggy Braz maybe would be the one. Do you think there's another Iggy Braz level we haven't seen? I would like to think so. Always thought he left a little prematurely, could have used a little bit more development there, but I think there is. He's got a lot of pieces to him. He's got the size and some uh, good defensive effort. He can shoot the ball well, but it'd be tough. And then the other name to mention there is Nick Stauskas, who destroyed the G League this year. Nick Stauskas, G League Nick Stauskas is a problem. So hopefully he can carry that momentum and like find a rotation somewhere. Yeah, G League Nick Stauskas is a problem, but the problem is that he's in the G League, so that's uh, pretty irrelevant. But yeah, uh, I hope that he sticks. He was a guy that we always pulled for, kind of, you know, what, like we said, you know, Duncan Robinson just uh, market corrected him there. Um, all right, so that is the current era, which is uh, not full of slouches, but I think that we just wait, need to wait and see because our top two guys are just getting started. You know, they've been within the last three years, Poole and Franz Wagner, and we think those have the highest ceiling. So the second best era of Michigan basketball is without a doubt this era going from 1989 to about 2001, when in the league during this time, there was Glenn Rice played from 1990 to 2004. Glenn Rice, who, you know, this is uh, maybe not the most exciting thing for the younger listeners, but for some people that were around during this. He was an absolute beast at Michigan and then in the NBA three-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA, and part of the 2000 NBA championship there. There was 93. Chris Weber was drafted, played from 93 to 2007. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a five-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA, put up absolutely absurd numbers. Next year... The end of the Fab Five, Jawan Howard gets drafted. Jalen Rose gets drafted. Those guys both have really long careers. Robert Trailer gets drafted in 1998. He's there from 99 to 05. And then Jamal Crawford is the last guy we're going to talk about on this list. And he's drafted in 2000 and plays until 2020. So that's a really good list of guys. We'll get into some of the accolades there. But the way I want to run this here is before we get into it, because I prepared this doc without uh, without you. Off the top of your head, would you say that there's any chance for this new era of Michigan basketball players to reach the accolades that were reached in that in that era? I 100% believe there's a chance of that because you have Jawan Howard, who is a very good player, got some NBA championships late in his career, and he's more of a rotational piece. They always eluded Chris Webber, but you and I are very pro like Chris Webber's like professional career and stand for it. But there, all there was it was a very up and down career. Like there were great highs, but there were also deep lows. So I think there is a chance, and I wouldn't have said that before this season's Jordan Poole, but absolutely, there's a conversation for them to compare on the NBA level with these guys. I'm glad you went there. I kind of thought you would be very anti this idea. I do think it's possible, but I mean that is putting a lot on either Jordan Poole or Franz Wagner, because we need in order for this to be realistic, someone would need to match what Chris Weber did. And Chris Weber, like we said, played from 1994, to 2008. That's a 14 year career where, I mean, he's putting up basically 15 points a game. His best season was that 2000 season, the crazy season when they absolutely should have won the championship. He was basically 27, 11, four, two blocks a game. And he did this like, over a very, very long career. And, you know, like we said, Hall of Famer, five-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA. I don't know if asking Jordan Poole to be five-time All-NBA Jordan Poole is realistic, but not necessarily because he isn't that talented, but because of the era Chris Webber was playing in. Does that make any sense? It, it does make sense, but I would like to counter with he may not have that, but if Jordan Poole is the best player on a finals winning team, that's something none of these players can say. That's true, except Juwan Howard. Like, So if you want to make the, the NBA championship claim, Glenn Rice, 2000 NBA champion, Juwan Howard, two-time NBA champion. Juwan Howard also had an extremely long career, played from 1995 to 2013, one-time All-Star, one-time All-NBA, like we mentioned, the two-time NBA champ. His best season, probably his 95-96 season, where he averaged 22-8-4. Okay, so like... 
we're saying Franz Wagner, then Glenn Rice is probably number two is for, if, we're, if we're looking at stats. But which one of the guys we mentioned is going to match Juwan for that kind of longevity also needs to match him for two championships? Like that's asking a lot of Franz then now. You know what I'm saying? Like this is kind of what I was trying to do with the exercise. How do you match up what these guys were able when you actually break it down? Is Franz going to be a two time NBA champion? Now, no, hear me out, though. I said to be the best player on an NBA championship team. I think both of these new guys can do that because Howard got his late in his career on the Miami Heat when he was barely playing, still a champion, and so did Glenn Rice. He got his toward the latter end of his career when he wasn't contributing as much. So if Poole or Franz could get one of those being one of the two top two best guys on an NBA championship winning team, I think that helps ascend them. Okay, that's a good point. Um, you brought up two good points there. I don't know if Franz Wagner could be the best player on a championship team. Second or third best player on a championship team, I'll absolutely buy that. Um, so I guess that's now we're getting into more the speculation of it because a lot of it's going to depend on where these guys go. You know, do they finish their career with Orlando and Golden State? Obviously, Jordan Poole is in the better situation here, and he could get off to a huge head start if they're able to win the title this year. So a lot of this is speculation, but just from a pure talent standpoint, I'm going to go against you here and it's good. Finally, we disagree. I'm going to say that we don't have the horses in this race to keep up with that era because the la the guy that we haven't even talked about yet in this are two guys. We haven't talked about Jalen Rose and Jamal Crawford. Jamal Crawford was the three times six man of the year. Like this dude was putting up 21, five and three for a career. Jamal Crawford barely makes this list. Like, I mean, very, very touch good. That situation with him in Michigan was very like, it did it, did it really happen? There were some issues going on with him there. So I don't give him that much weight in this conversation. He doesn't carry as much weight at Michigan as say, you know, the fab five members or Glenn Rice, who is a most outstanding player of the NCAA tournament on a championship college winning team. But it's really hard to put a ceiling, though, on what Franz Wagner could be. But it's the question was, like, can they get there? I still think they can, because if you're going to be leading teams to titles or in contention like that, I think that could really help push them over the top. OK, I mean, I'm glad we disagree on this. One point that you brought up earlier that I do agree with as like a counterpoint to this is I think that their era like that was not the strongest area of NBA basketball. And the era we are playing in now currently is absolutely loaded with talent. So Jordan Poole doing what he does night in and night out would probably like lead me towards putting it over maybe some of what Jalen Rose did in like 2000 and 2001 where the NBA wasn't quite as deep. So I do agree with that. Um, I think we just need some more horses. So um, my next question would be of the guys currently on the team. Is there one that you see like being a contributor to this? Somebody that can go in and have a long NBA career and start to like produce those accolades. Ah, oh, I was waiting on this one, and I think yeah, the mileage may vary on the two choices here. I think it's kind of two obvious guys, but I'm going to go with Musa Diabate. I don't think he can be the top one or two on a team, but I think he could be just a key wing defending type piece that like can be very versatile, guard one to five, and really help out a team that needs to take that next step and just use another defender. I mean, look at the way the Boston Celtics are defending right now. You want guys like uh, like um. Musa can come in like a Grant Williams, not as thick, but can be versatile, fill his role, hit, knock down some shots and do something like that. Say he could come in and help contribute that. I know I said Grant Williams is the comp there, so it's not helping the all time comparison. But I think Musa could be like a really good piece in this. That would be kind of hard to quantify if he falls into that that Rodman esque wing defender type of elite role. I love the Rodman comparison, too, because that's where you want to go when you go like absolute ceiling. But I like what you were saying there. Or maybe he's like a bigger Matisse Thibel or one of these guys that's just a defensive specialist. And I kind of I'm getting the impression that's where you're going with him with his career. And that's that could be, you know, what it ends up being. And that wouldn't be the worst thing for him if he gets a little bit more offensive versatility. I mean, we made the KG comparisons way back when that's another like outlandish ceiling if you wanted to go that way.
I, I do not see either of those things, Rodman or KG happening with him, but something in the middle that's maybe like a Bobby Portis or something, you know, like maybe a less three point oriented Bobby Portis with Milwaukee. That would be awesome for him, but I'll zag and I'll, and I'll go, you know, the Cornelius Johnson, like when I drafted him in my draft and I stand by it uh, where the pendulum has swung too far and I will swing it back and I'll swing it back for Caleb Houston, because I think that's the kind of guy that teams want. You know, a guy like Mikel Bridges or Miles Bridges or Sadiq Bay or I mean, take your pick. There's a million of these long three and D wings. He's exactly what the NBA wants. He has the mechanics. He has the, the shooting stroke. Like if all he needs to do is like effort, defensive intensity, like these are stuff that like he could just do that. Like he doesn't have to <laughs> learn anything. He just needs to do it. <laughs> It, it sounds so simple. It's like, just do it. But it can be really hard to teach that or make a, a non-aggressive athlete become aggressive. So again, like it's hard to like project and put a whole career on one of these guys. But it's like each of them have like all these like th- these intrinsic they have uh, traits that are intrinsic and extrinsic but if you could combine them together God, they'd be the perfect person because I feel like Musa has what Caleb does and Caleb has what Musa doesn't. Oh, I'm with you. Yeah. I mean, if if you put uh, the hustle and energy and and give a damn of Musa Diabate into Caleb Houston, that's a that's a mean player. Like or, or if like you just gave like, I don't care what just like remember how Jordan Poole was, which is why we were not super high on him going into the NBA draft yet. You know, his shot selection and he had uh, like our friend Bill Simmons calls irrational confidence. Like, can you imagine irrational confidence, Caleb Houston? I'd be fascinated to see it. That's all we want from him. Like, kid, you have the green light. Just pull it up there. Get some more shots up. Don't be so timid. It's like, yeah, that's the one thing he does need to have to come in here and have that confidence and extend his career a little bit and, like, open up his entire game because if he believes in him half as much as we do, kid could be an All-American. I'm with you. All right, so uh, we'll make final closing arguments here on this debate. So in order to match that era, we're going to compare against Glenn Rice, who had an incredible NBA career. Um, I've got his, we, we're not going to go through all the numbers. This isn't really a statistics podcast, but we, we'll hit some of them. Chris Weber, who I'm telling you right now, we're not going to match. Jawan Howard, who played forever. I cannot believe his career was that long. Some of it, like you said, he was just like the Udonis Haslam on that Miami Heat bench, and he was more of a figurehead there. But nonetheless, long career. Um, and Jalen Rose. We're going to skip Robert Trailer, and based on your recommendation, we will leave out Jamal Crawford, which is the only reason this argument even has a chance because Jamal Crawford put up crazy numbers in the NBA and also played for 19 years. All right. Give, yeah, give, give me your closing argument. So it's those three guys. It's Glenn Rice, it's C-Webb, and it's Howard. And for me, just looking at this, C-Webb is the hard one to match because his ceiling, I don't think any of them can reach that, especially like that 2000 to like 2003 run with the Kings. But a lot of up and downs. But if these guys could start putting together some championships, being that guy, like Jordan Poole's fine, like playoff bet like leading the clubhouse to be one of the guys to lead the playoffs in points at this age. He's 22. So who could it be when he's 27? So it's hard. we couldn't project where he is now from when he entered the NBA. And I think it's hard to completely cap him off now from when he'll be where he'll be when he's 27. Okay. For context right now, Jordan Poole is averaging 24.5 points in these playoffs, which if you compared it against Chris Weber would tie the second highest average of his career. The highest was that 2000, 2001 season where he was basically 27, 11, four, one, and two, which is outlandish. Like that's a crazy season, but Jordan Poole, 24.5, like five assists. So like, okay. You can you can sell me on that, like the, uh, you know, getting the all NBAs and stuff. We won't really take that into account because the league is loaded now. It's much harder to get an all NBA. So if we're just going based on stats like, all right, so Jordan Poole needs to play for 15 years. (laughs) That's what we need to happen. 15 years at this pace. And and, and like in order for that to work. (laughs) 
Yeah, the longevity here is so tough to match. And even like, I know we like talk about how the NBA wasn't deep then. Chris Webber's position was though, because he's going against uh, Tim Duncan, uh, Kevin Garnett in the West, as well as like early Dirk Nowinski so, and Shaq. So he was going through some deep people. To, so still for him to accrue five All-NBAs during his time there, when you know some of the years weren't as deep, he still had some dogs and legends lurking around him. So it's like, I don't want to th- people think I'm like put belittling his career for what he did but i think jordan Poole just has a chance to be a special player is more or less what i'm getting at. all right fair enough and i'm not like here to bash jordan Poole. i think i'm just more here to be like yo i think we forget some of the accolades of some of these other guys all right so franz wagner then would need to match the accolades of glenn rice so that means he needs to play third uh 14 years and he needs to average 18 4 2 and oh my god glenn rice averaged 40% from three for a career, 85% from free throws. I do not think people remember how good of a shooter. Yeah, Glenn, Glenn Rice had a strap, man. Very, like, very good player. And I think that, uh, I think that one is more attainable. I think Franz has a very high ceiling, especially being only 20 years old right now. That's like, so 14 years, okay, get to 34 Franz. He can handle that. So especially like, the biggest thing for him right now is situation. Like where in God's name are the magic going? Does anybody know? Yeah, exactly. And that's going to make the uh, three-time All-Star and two-time All-NBA that Glenn Rice had difficult. And it's going to make the uh, 2000 NBA champion that Glenn Rice became impossible because you're not getting that in Orlando. So yeah, basically Franz needs to get out of Orlando if he wants to, to match Glenn Rice. But stats-wise... I think you're right. There's a chance that Franz could match Glenn Rice. Uh, those shooting, those shooting percentages from Glenn Rice are shocking. Like you said, dude had a strap. All right, so that means that our third best player, Duncan, has to somehow match Jawan Howard. And uh, I don't envy this because while Jawan Howard never really had any crazy year where you're like, wow, look at those stats, he played forever, and the dude showed up. Like he was just playing 54 games, 82, 64, 81, 77, 81, 61, 80, 80. Like the dude was just consistent uh, for his career. Jawan Howard over a career that goes from 94, 95 to 2012, 2013, which is just obnoxious. Uh, Average 13, 6 and 2. Um, doesn't sound like a lot because it's just a really weird, really long career. Uh, but Duncan Robinson, maybe not a bad guy to match up against him because Duncan Robinson's going to be able to play a long time in this league so long as he can shoot the rock. Yes, exactly. So that's what it's really going to come down to is his uh, contributions just long term. Like if he hits four threes a game for the rest of his career and just plays forever, he can do it. Sounds easy enough, but like Jawan Howard's longevity and just like, ability to stay on the court and always find a role, be a leader, contribute here and there. And it's just, it's so funny. It's this, the comparison comes into Duncan Robinson, who's very similar, like very mature player, very durable, knows his role. So it's going to be a fun way to watch this shake out. Yeah. I mean, this is a weird way to look at it. And like, they aren't necessarily guys that you're matching up like player for player, person for person. We're just saying if this era is going to reach that level, that's the kind of career they need to aspire to is how we're looking at this. Um, And like after Duncan Robinson, things drop a bit because you go to Tim Hardaway, whose career looks solid. Um, but already, you know, because Tim Hardaway's career is coming closer to the close than it is to the beginning, I can tell you it's probably not going to match Juwan Howard. Um, or it's definitely not going to match Juwan Howard. It's probably not going to match Jalen Rose either. So after that, if you want to make the argument for the new era, I think your argument's got to be based on numbers because there's more guys out there putting up careers, you know. But uh, the quality of the guys in that first era in that 1989 to 2001 range. Like those guys were all elite in the NBA. Absolutely. So it's a very like just share a high shared ceiling of a few of those guys in the nineties. And it's like, all right, can this next class be proved to be like, winners and contributors at the highest level when the stakes are the highest like also with like can Duncan Robinson have this longevity can Franz develop a complete game be a little bit more versatile than Glenn Rice was it's a fun it's a fun comparison and a fun exercise I'm glad you put this one together because it's like people need to understand like that when you have like fruitful times in college it's they don't always translate to the NBA but at Michigan it seems like they do 
Yeah, absolutely. This was one that was kind of thrown together a little bit hodgepodge. I've been watching some uh, NBA basketball, watching Jordan Poole, and I, I don't know, wanted to bring it back to some other guys that I remember watching in my very first days of watching basketball. So I think it went all right. Um, we'll we'll have to revisit it though, and when we do it next time, like I want to see a whole season of Poole and Franz, like uh, Poole at this next level that I've reached, and Franz just you know he's going to continue to grow and get better. Hopefully, they get a some sort of a direction on that team so that he can really reach his next level. Yeah, I'm just glad you didn't throw any Bob trailer takes to me because I am not a fan of his game and did not translate well to the NBA from what he did in college. So thank you for sparing me that argument. No, I seem to remember him being awesome, but I think it's just because he was a giant defensive tackle like out there playing center and was just bodying dudes sweating all over the place. Like, yeah, it, it actually doesn't translate that well. It was just kind of a niche thing. It's, he was a very key person early on at Michigan, so I understand why you did it with that star power. But it's just like, yeah, I'm, just, I'm glad you didn't give me that one. I'll hear Jamal Crawford before I hear Bob Trailer. <laughs> Jamal Crawford had an awesome NBA career, but yeah, you're right, like with the whole Michigan part of it. So I accept that argument. But yeah, this was fun, man. All right, that's going to do it for this week. When we come back next week, it's going to be nice. We're going to have some uh, NFL draft to talk, figure out where all these guys went. We'll pick up our favorite. Uh, pairings hopefully Hutchinson to Lions and Haskins to Buffalo Bills that's what I'm locking in right now uh Andy thing Andy anything else from you my friend (laughs) no that is it for me guys uh be on the lookout for uh Eric Portillo coming back some news on that be sure to keep up with the Michigan hockey guys at the next level uh with Bordy's game winner last night just the chef's kiss sauciest of sauce veneers on the verge of NHL history so uh, although some Michigan sports are winding down at the collegiate level, you still have baseball and softball going strong. Be sure to follow these guys in the next level. They need our support now more than ever, and it's fun to watch these young careers take that step. Yeah, just because the college football and basketball and baseball and hockey season ends, that does not mean sports end. I mean, uh, at least not for me. I continue my viewership year-round, sir. Exactly, and a name you need to know, hockey fans, be on the watch out for Adam Fantelli. I'm just I'm telling you now, you heard it here first, Adam Fantelli. Look. This guy knows his stuff, people. Look it up. All right, that's going to do it for Out of the Blue. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or wherever. Follow us on Twitter, at Brew. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue. <laughs>